It's Thursday, June 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio from MFAM Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Thursday. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got some earnings. We've got one of the biggest movers in terms of stock appreciation today is a company that I don't believe we have ever talked about in the really? history of this podcast. And we will get to that. But we're going to start with Rite Aid because the first quarter loss for Rite Aid was worse than expected. They still don't have a CEO. So if you're looking for a job, that's something maybe to consider. Um, why in the name of anything are shares of Rite Aid up today? Because I can't see a valid reason why this stock is up. Could be the announcement from Amazon that you can pick stuff up at the Rite Aid counter that will give you a reason to go to Rite Aid, whereas before you did not have one, uh, or at least that was what uh, the numbers seem to show. Uh, Rite Aid getting smaller and smaller as time goes by, and people um, not buying more. Uh, so the same store sales were basically flat. Um, you could say that they were. Up uh, three tenths of a percent, or up a percent, something like that. Different ways to break them out, but essentially flat. This is a company that now has a market cap of four hundred million dollars. Is someone just going to buy them and and put them out of their misery? Because it uh, it's hard for me to see how Rite Aid is a standalone public company in two years with the likes of Walgreens and CVS out there. I haven't studied exactly what's left here. Uh, of course, there were a couple of attempts to sell the company, and they were successful in selling uh, chunks of the company off. Uh, and there's a little bit left, and I don't know exactly how that is, uh, you know, where it is geographically. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's some sort of value here. There's some sort of customer information and uh, locations, and sooner or later, yeah, somebody will put them out of their misery. I think that's that's a fair way of looking at it. Uh, but they're, they're still, you know, sell 20, 22 million a year in revenue. Uh, 22 million? Sorry, billion. It's probably billion. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that's that's down. It peaked around 26 uh, several years ago, and as as they've gotten rid of locations and and all, they've shed uh, shed revenue, and the, what revenue they have isn't profitable. Uh, so I, the sooner the better, I think, that somebody else comes in and figures out exactly what there is to do with the um, the remainder of this. Isn't that probably what we're gonna? learn when they finally do hire a CEO? I mean, because presumably the next CEO is either going to come in and on day one talk about how they've got plans to reinvigorate the brand and turn this business around, or it's going to be someone that when we look at their resume, we'll think to ourselves, oh, this CEO has been hired to sell this company. I think it depends on what the board wants. Uh, they're, they're going to hire somebody whose vision fits with the direction of the board and this is a company that has largely um, you know lost money in most years over the past dozen or so there were there were a few profitable years uh, going if you go three to seven years ago or so they were making some profits and since then not um, so 
Is there a, a new vision for this that it can, that can compete against CVS, against Walgreens in a meaningful way? You would tend to think no. That's that's a tough, tough order. Um, so who can who can sell this off in a, the most meaningful way? And you know what kind of CEO uh, do you want to hire for that job? If that is the job, I, I suppose the, those that know the company well, as the board should, might might understand this to have some earnings power down the road. It doesn't today. Um, and I don't know how they get from here to profitability, but uh, you know that's their job. Let's move on to McCormick. Uh, shares of the spice maker up slightly after a mixed second quarter report. Uh, McCormick, the revenue was a little light, and I mean this was one of those miss by a penny kind of uh, revenue misses. But they raised earnings guidance for the full fiscal year, and I'm assuming that's. What's getting the weight here in terms of pushing the stock up a little bit? Yeah, it's up a little bit. Uh, of course, it's a reasonably strong day for the market. So why not, you know, spend a little bit more for this stock than you did yesterday if it's in the stock market? I think that's mostly there. There was basically wow. You're not giving them any credit. Uh, well, they they are sitting on top of a lot of credit, which is a pretty rich valuation for a company growing at the pace that McCormick is growing, and which is in a consumer staples, um, you know, sec- segment. Um, you know, the very name staple is going to tell you this is. People people have this uh, the McCormick spices already in their cupboards. They'll replace them when they run out, um, but they're not going to change the way they use spices for the most part. They can continue to take their profitability and acquire the brands that they don't have, uh, which is what has sparked their recent growth is is acquisitions, and that's a you uh, know an area where they can. Continue to perform well, and when they don't add something new, they're going to grow. Uh, you know, two three percent ish. That's that's about where they grew over the last quarter, uh, adjusting for currency three percent. They've done a good job, as you said, with uh, with the acquisitions, and it will be interesting to see sort of what's next on the horizon. I, I'm looking at McCormick uh, almost. Uh, I mean, the analogy I'm going to draw here is to the beer industry because it really does seem like similar to the beer industry where you have these large conglomerates and then a lot of smaller, more local or regional craft beer brands. It seems like McCormick might have a nice opportunity to do those same type of acquisitions in terms of like, oh, we're going to pick up this spice brand that's big in the southeast or southwest or wherever. Um, and then just sort of bring them into their network. Yeah, uh, they've been doing some of that, and that is an opportunity. Um, uh, the Franks acquisition, the French um, acquisition, and look for more of that if it's a company that acts in the future like it has acted in the past, which is to grow, and which is what is also driving the valuation of the company, people are expecting that this thing is going to grow at an impressive rate based on the PE multiple here. Uh, it's, it's a good company, but it's got to have some plan that the, or the organic growth isn't really going to drive very much. Now, 
They missed a little bit uh, this quarter on uh, on the top line, and uh, do you know why? Is it part? A, is it a calendar thing? It is a calendar thing. Oh, okay. The the uh, grilling season started late this year. It did. Yeah. Doesn't it always according, start the According same to the press release. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> then it's, now I'm intrigued. What? Do we, I always assume grilling season starts officially Memorial Day weekend. No, it starts after Easter. Okay. Which was late this year. So, you know, years where Easter comes early, you're allowed to grill. You're not allowed to grill until after Easter. Is that? It's in the Bible. And uh, Somewhere in the back. It's, it's not, maybe not the version you have, but apparently, uh, according to the press release, um, a slowdown in the spices and seasonings category driven by a late Easter, which delayed the beginning of grilling season. So there you are. You know, that's okay. That's fine. They can I've do- set this one up for you. Let's see what, see what no, you can I, do with this. I'm, ju- I'm just saying that's you know that's fine if they want to do that. But now now armed with this information, I'm already looking forward to you know the next year that Easter comes early because I, I don't know is is does McCormick have a history of saying well look uh, we'd love to take credit for the great quarter we just put up but really it just has to do with the fact. That we had an early Easter, and then therefore, of course, it was an early grilling season. Yeah. No. What would be really cool is if they didn't even point out. Said, as you know, the first Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox came early this year. Enough said. There we go. What do you grill on on Easter? Uh, What's typically you, as an American, <laughs> you must grill on Easter. Or right after. Typically, what's on my grill is just sort of the basics, you know, some sort of some combination of beef, chicken, sausage, fish, occasionally shrimp. You know what I've never grilled, and that's that's on my uh, to do list for the summer is ribs. I need to do some ribs. I want to. That's. Are you qualified? Uh, as qualified it's as a you high are. bar. It's <laughs> a high bar. I don't know that I'm qualified. I mean, I I feel like that is something that you shouldn't do unless you're you know pretty good. Unless you've you've done enough grilling. That's uh, that's the more advanced stuff. I think it is, and you got to be willing to put in the time to do it right, which is unlike you know grilling burgers or something, which there's not a big time investment. I agree with all of that, which is why I'm going to pick a date sometime later this summer and basically say to my family, "Don't bother me all day because I'm I'm cooking ribs, and this may take eight to ten hours. It may not take as you know, as long as that. I would reserve 8 to 10. But I'm going to block off 8 to 10 and just be like, look, if, if you want dinner, that, that's what's involved here. This stuff's going to need to marinate all weekend, and uh, I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah, exactly. Don't bother Dad. Uh, quick programming note before we get to the stock of the day. Uh, next week is going to be a short week for us here on Market Foolery. Uh, I'm going to be on Cape Cod. Um, so we're we've got a couple episodes locked and loaded uh, for Monday and Tuesday. And then it's, you know, look, it's Independence Day. We got that coming up, so we want we want talking about grilling. Speaking of grilling, exactly. So we want uh, we want folks to, to yeah, take a little time off, and uh, and therefore we will take a little time off. But we will be back the following week, July eighth and ninth. Uh, something special, Matt Greer coming to you live from Colorado with Market Foolery. Wow, Market Foolery on the road in Colorado, July eighth and ninth. So, so just please make a note of that. Um, Again, we've been doing this podcast since January of 2011, and I don't believe we have ever once talked about Howard Hughes Corp. And yet we are today because shares of Howard Hughes Corp are up more than 30 percent 
on reports that the company has hired bankers to explore strategic alternatives. This is not a Rite Aid situation where it's $400 million. This is a $5 billion company. Um, and, we'll, and we'll get to Howard Hughes, the business icon, in a moment. But the underlying business here is what? Real estate? Because yep. Hughes I, made his money in the 20th century on a number of things, but real estate was definitely one of them. Yeah, it is a and uh, credit to uh, Jeremy Myers, who's been banging the table uh, for this uh, in in our little world, uh, Motley Fool Asset Management. Uh, so um, it's a real estate company with uh, spread around a lot of different areas of the country and in some different projects, and it, the finances are different than a real estate investment trust, which it is not. And so, it's a, it's a company which is not a REIT. And I won't go into the details of that, because I'll just expose my ignorance of, of exactly uh, what's going on, except to say that it doesn't really pay the kind of dividend that investors, typical investors in real estate expect. And so the finances are a little bit more complicated. They, you know, takes uh, many years to realize the value of of some of their properties, and the market has been somewhere between yawning about that and just turning, you know, heading for the exits, and that has sort of culminated in their exploration of you know what are the what are the other ways where can we be owned where somebody appreciates the value of this company. I'm assuming that uh, they're going to have buyers because I don't I don't see the stock popping like this unless there is an expectation that uh, there are enough assets at Howard Hughes Corp that someone's going to want to step in and buy them, whether that's a single buyer or um, it gets divided in some way. Possible. Uh, the notice that you are exploring strategic alternatives does not always translate into the sale of a company it could be hey you know which of these properties can we spin off in a way that makes the remaining part look more like what people want to see it's up 37% right now on the other hand it's kind of halfway a little bit more than halfway in between the low of the year which was basically going into today and the high so anytime a stock is Pretty close to the middle of its 52-week low and high. I tend to think, well, this is kind of boring. You know, <laughs> whatever. It could be worth a little more. It could be worth a little less. Not not really. Most stocks are, you know, trading. Uh, not everything is hitting new highs all the time. And uh, you know, now it's back to sort of the middle range of where it's uh, traded at different points. So maybe just the notification that hey. We're looking at ways to unlock value. We'll make the market sit up and take notice. It's a well-respected stock by analysts that cover it, uh, many of whom have higher price targets or fair value estimates than where the stock. You know, it's up 37 percent today, but it's still not up to a lot of analysts' price targets. If the stock itself or the underlying business itself is boring, Howard Hughes, the man. Definitely not boring. No. <laughs> for, for those unfamiliar, Howard Hughes, uh, business icon of the 20th century, a billionaire uh, investor, uh, big in real estate, film production, uh, aviation, and uh, 
this, not just the producer of films, but also the subject of films as well. And probably the the best known of those is the the, the relatively recent uh, film where uh, Leo DiCaprio played him, The Aviator, and um, Kate Blanchett, I believe, won an Academy Award for playing Kate Hepburn. Uh, yes, one of the many starlets that his path crossed. Uh, yeah, he he was successful in the movie business, at least successful in making movies, and not many of them were, I think, uh, you know, classics or designed to be classics. They were more designed to introduce him to young actresses. I think he would have done, he would not have done well in the Me Too era, is my guess. That's probably a safe bet. Yeah. yeah. I would uh, think so. And but he's yes appeared as the subject not only of the Aviator but Melvin and Howard, uh, a classic, uh, which got a couple Academy Award nominations many years ago. The Amazing Howard Hughes, Tommy Lee Jones, starring as Howard Hughes. And, really, Tommy yeah. Lee Jones played Howard Hughes. You can see that, can't you? I guess I can. I don't know. Like to to me, the the two that always pop to mind are Leo DiCaprio, is sort of the younger, sort of more dashing version, and then in Melvin and Howard, you have Jason Robards playing Howard Hughes at the end of his life, where he, I mean, he is Hughes was an eccentric. He, uh, I believe, had severe OCD, and uh, the subject of Melvin and Howard was uh, that ultimately it proved to be a hoax that. Uh, a man named uh, Melvin Dumar, is that the last? I think I have the last that sounds name. sounds right. Um, came forward and said um, that he had an encounter with Howard Hughes and Howard Hughes uh, rewrote his will and left everything to him. Um, and that ultimately was proved to be a hoax. But uh, Jason Robart's really good in that movie. Yeah, he's got uh, – Hughes got quite a legacy. He established uh, – uh, 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 charity, which is the second largest um, charity in terms of assets in in the country and fifth in the world, at least in terms of disclosed assets, uh, the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, which is located Chevy Chase, Maryland. Um, really? And, yeah, it's right in, right nearby. I had no idea. And and of course, he's the inspiration for Tony Stark, Iron Man. Yes, I suppose we're burying the lead here, but yeah, yeah, I. You were working toward that. Uh, no, I was not. But you had mentioned that earlier today, and I was like, "Wait, is he? Is he really?" That's I, like pretty far down on his list of what we were doing was his actual accomplishments, right? You know, and now we're going to like the fictional right. stuff. And then for a certain type of person, that's what you lead with. <laughs> Howard Hughes never heard of him. He was the inspiration for Tony Stark. Really? Tell me more. Tell me. Yeah, uh, he, he is the visual. Uh, and and lifestyle other than I think Tony Stark is supposed to be Howard Hughes minus the crazy. Yeah. Although he is an alcoholic. Tony, Tony Stark. Tony yeah. Stark? Yeah. Does that show up in the movies? Maybe not. Not yet. Uh, not yet. I, There's still time. I probably won't. The kids don't need to see that. Yeah. It, uh, it actually – But in, in the comic books, it yeah. It showed up in the first couple of movies. There were a couple of scenes where, where Tony, Tony got a little – Little had a little too much. Yeah, which uh, a terrible problem to have, but uh, not as uh, not as unique uh, as Howard Hughes's issues. Yeah. which would it would be tougher to be a, a superhero, I think, given what Howard Hughes was going through. I think that's yeah. I think that's probably safe. I also think we're at the end of this episode. <laughs> Phil Barker, you can read more from him and Jeremy Myers. 
and the rest of the crew at MFAM Funds, you can go to mfamfunds.com. I guarantee you there's like one or two people out there that were thinking, here we go. And they were looking forward to another 15 minutes on of Howard Hughes off the rail stuff. I'm mean, so one or two. I'm not saying more than that. Yeah. For those one or two, sorry to disappoint. Sorry. For absolutely everyone else. You're welcome. You're welcome. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Thank you.